Hey everyone, Sloan here. Sustainable investing has many shortcomings, but one of the most visible is a lack of clear outcomes data. If you've ever invested in an ESG strategy and then wondered what exactly happened as a result of your investment, this will be overwhelmingly clear to you. Strategies tend to be long on glossy marketing materials, but short on substance. And that sucks. In this episode, we chat with Sam Duncan of Net Purpose, a London-based impact measurement platform that helps investors source data, align reporting with evolving ESG frameworks, and streamline the process of developing investment strategies. We talk about her journey through the industry, from leading reporting at LeapFrog Investments, a pioneer in impact investing, to running her own firm, um, the deserved regulatory scrutiny on sustainability-related claims from asset managers, how ESG data helps analysts understand the human capital-linked factors that drive performance at today's growth companies, and more. We also answer questions from listeners about what pensions should be doing after this year's great performance, the Chinese government's crackdown on foreign share listings, and how to prepare for a potential future as a climate refugee. We even threw in a gardening tip at the end to help you make sure you're getting the right kind of growth. It's a pure joy to produce these for you, and this is one of the best episodes yet. If seeing the news that a new episode is available brings a smile to your face, please consider leaving us a nice review in the Apple Podcast Store. Every little bit helps get the word out about the work we're doing to radicalize the investment profession. Plus, it brings a smile to our faces, which is nice of you. That's all for me for now. Take it away, Sharkbait. Ahoy, free money podcast listeners. I'm Sharkbait Buckley, the Disclosure Pirate, and I'm here to set ye straight about what's going on with this here show. Sloan Ortel works for Invest Vegan LLC, a New York registered investment advisor. Ashby Monk works for Stanford University, Adapar, Future Proof, Long Game, and various startups. All opinions expressed by either Sloan or Ashby are entirely their own, and do nay reflect the opinions of their crew or any company. Clients who invest vegan may maintain positions in securities and strategies discussed in this podcast. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Invest Vegan and its representatives are properly licensed or exempted, and a client agreement has been executed. Arr. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. Here comes the money. Welcome to the Free Money Podcast, it's where we bring you the Brooklyn Bay Area consensus about institutional investing. And this is the morning edition, Ashby. Thank you for being with us at uh, 4.30 in the morning, San Francisco time. It's the drive time. Uh, let's cut to the <laughs> let's cut to the chopper so we can check in on traffic. Uh, yep, what's the traffic, yep. Sloan? Uh, the traffic is, well, I mean, currently here at the uh, Hortel Sarsom residence, um, there are tons of boxes everywhere because we've just rearranged the entire house to take care of some dust allergies. <laughs> um, so, my goodness. Yeah. And it, yeah, life is a shambles. Uh, <laughs> and if you hear wackiness in my house, it's because it is drive time. The kids are getting out the door um, and it is wild on a Friday, which, Sloan, I should tell you happens to be my birthday it's your birthday oh yeah not only are we doing the early drive time free money but what better way to spend my freaking 45th birthday than with you <laughs> recording a podcast for tens of other people 
I mean, I, I think that, you know, the reaction to the audio issues that we had, uh, you know, last day, the pitchforks and torches outside of my, my, my house and yours, I think, uh, you know, all tens of those people. Yeah, those people were... And that's not our doorsteps. It almost got loud. They were yelling together in perfect unison. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're sorry about last week's audio issues, but we're going to um, probably put a human back in the loop of this uh, technologized podcast. So we'll see. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We're gonna we're gonna you know go a little lower tech, uh, you know, and and, and just like more artisan. Or we could go the other way. Let's just fully technologize this crap because oh, you know what I mean. Like, yeah. I don't know what that means, but I do have news. <laughs> I have news, love. Because <laughs> I want to jump into it because there's some wild news items that I think are gonna like literally guide. Oh, there's a guy with a wind, a leaf blower walking by me. I just saw. So you get some nice leaf blow noise when you do the drive time podcast. Um, so look, uh, Harvard has announced it is going to fully divest from fossil fuels, which I think is a big deal. These guys are not creative. Don't be fooled when you think of. <laughs> Don't be fooled that you think, oh, these endowments, they invest in venture capital. These guys are creative. Absolutely not. They're all running the exact same investment strategy. They're all begging for access to Sequoia. They are um, like with high levels of efficiency pursuing an endowment model. And so when you have a big famous endowment that does something like that, it is likely that many will copy them. And the fact that we now have two, because let's go back a little bit and recall that it was our good friend, uh, Jake Deep Bashir, RIP, missing missing episode, RIP. This this secret hidden tape. Secret hidden tapes where we do. God, I can't believe that happened. But anyway, yeah, (laughs) we had Jake Deep on the show and then we lost the tapes. We're professionals, though, at this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we're the best at podcasts. We're the best, uh, IFY. Uh, information for you. We're good at this. Um, but anyway, <laughs> so University of California announced they were fossil-free, or almost. And then uh, others were like, oh, crap, this is possible. And you know who realized it was possible? Student groups. Yeah, student groups yep. were like, well, shit, we're getting in there. <laughs> And uh, and they won in the case of Harvard. And so Harvard is, yep. has to go fossil free. Fantastic. It's going to be great for their net zero plans. And, you know, it's just probably good to see somebody take the leap. Yeah. And, and like, I mean, for an endowment like Harvard's that's in a whole bunch of private investment vehicles, it's not like a chill thing to go. I mean, like, you know, invest vegan, like, you know, we just simply don't buy the shit. Right. Um, but like if you're. You know, you're in like 17 KKR funds, 45 Blackstone funds, and then a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, like how, how pretty mechanically, like that? Yeah. <laughs> how are you going to, how are they going to do that? Is Or is this like when Stanford said they were divesting from coal and it turned out they were only divesting from their direct holdings of coal and the, the funds they were invested in could still invest. And it's like, well, you don't even do direct investing. So I don't get it. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> good point, Slug. You're taking the wind, the wind out of my sails, the wind beneath my wings. <laughs> I think that's my role here. I, mean, I know. You, like, you bring the San Francisco optimism, I bring the New York Johnson. It's so true. We got the like positive optimism, 
you know, saving the world vibe over here in California. <laughs> you guys are transactional mofos. <laughs> anyway, next bit of news comes from, I'm not going to do the accent this time, Netherlands, which is, uh, yeah, it's always tempting, but I get a lot of feedback on my accents. Um, APG. Not Denmark. Different from Denmark. It is. Netherlands and Denmark are di- different countries. It is a different country, y'all. But it is yep. the same thing as Holland. So yeah, yep. Uh, yep. For those of you that are like, "Where's Holland and how is it different from the Netherlands?" Boy, do I have a story for you. I F Y again. <laughs> um, APG's back in the news. My news, that is, because once again, this pension fund is leading the world in some pretty interesting data products. They now have a whole set of custom indices that allows investors to track different parts of the um, sustainable development goals. They call SDI indices. It's coming from their own data and their own platform, which is called the Asset Owner Platform, which they've partnered with BCI, Australian Super and PGGM. Mm -hmm. And they're out there, you know, doing really interesting work on um, sustainable investing. And truly like groundbreaking innovations. Like in this case, they partnered with Contigo and BlackRock, but it's like APG, the pension fund who led the effort. Yeah. So pretty exciting. That's so, that's so much more credible uh, than like the BlackRock fund tracking the SDGs to me. I mean, like the, to have, to have like, you know, these guys, these fiduciary, you know, long-term investors at the center of it who actually are sitting there owning it, not just like collecting it beyond it probably. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Um, and I meant to, now that I think about it, I probably should have done that story last before our guest, but I do have more. Yeah. Hey, you guys are well oiled machine. Uh, my next story, and then we'll come back to maybe the APG briefly before we, k- mm. you know, kick it to the guest. Um, is the state of Wisconsin investment board, uh, which arguably is the best American pension plan. They're so sharp. I mean, like you can, there's all these like cheesehead jokes that you can make, but like the, I mean, those guys, I, I have had the pleasure of interviewing several of them over the years. And like, uh, you know, it's like they're up, coming in from the frozen North. They're, yeah. They have the clearest minds. They got ever. the clear minds. And they, even when they're wearing the cheers head, uh, cheesehead it's mm. like with equanimity you know they're just like peaceful you know <laughs> <laughs> they're just observing i wear my cheesehead <laughs> oh swib is happy to invest in hotels again and they are launching uh-huh. a distressed hotel fund th- that they are leading with i forget who because i forgot to write it down but 100 million bucks into distressed hotels. And I thought it was fantastic because that their rationale here is that um, the pandemic rebound is happening and people will be going to the hotels. And so they want to invest in hotels. And so I just like that personally, because I want to go back to hotels. <laughs> and so no, 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 like thesis. I know. No, 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 this one, this, this was like, I read that and I was like, cool, 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 cool. If they're <laughs> investing in hotels, that's a sign hotels are coming back. Hell yeah. And I like the, you know, the mind space of Ashby's headed to a hotel, you know, it's going to be good. Uh, turns out most of my hotel experiences are always like not that great. Like you get to the hotel 
and they're like, Dr. Monk, we've upgraded your room. And then you get into the room and you're like, how bad was the other room? But this, <laughs> this is the upgraded room. It's like, ah, yes, there's only one drippy pipe. <laughs> exactly. uh, Especially in, in New York hotels. Like in New York, when you're on well, your way to New York, the room is like four feet by three and a half feet. Just tall. Enough. I'm pretty steady. Uh, we're we're heading at my family reunion, and for you know, long time listeners will know I have a large Mormon family. Yes, uh, it's happening next week uh, in Salt Lake City, the American Switzerland, <laughs> um, and and so I am going to get to spend a couple nights in the Salt Lake City Marriott, um, which is like for for me, it like brings out my inner basic white girl in a in a way that I just like can't explain. It's like the bed sheets are going to be clean. It's going to be so good. It's so novel. I mean, like I never thought I would be excited to stay at a Marriott, but here we are. Uh, yeah, well, COVID will do weird things to you. You'll be like pumped to do a lot of things. Um, and speaking of here we are, I see our guest is in the waiting room. Would you like to introduce him? I would. So full disclosure, I absolutely love the company that this woman works for, Sam Duncan. She's the CEO of You Net love it Purpose. so much that you work there. <laughs> I might be on the board. Oh, is that the disclosure I'm supposed to do? <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Yeah, so the, discl the disclosure I thought I was doing was that I love this company and I love this woman. And she's a fabulous CEO that's building impact data through a company called Net Purpose. And, you know, in light of the APG news and the Harvard news and all this stuff, and we've been talking a lot about impact on the show. Um, yep. We thought we'd have her on to help her explain all this stuff to us like we're four. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and uh, frankly, we, we are. Hi, Sam. We are. Yeah. Sam. Hi. Good to see you. <laughs> Good to see you, too. Oh, yeah. We're, we're highly um, technologized. We got this incredible <laughs> podcasting system. Um, it yeah, we're totally air free. Yeah. Like we did like two, you know, we did two minutes at the top of this podcast about like audio issues that we've had. And how we're, yeah. So uh, <laughs> 60% of the time. Well, I can hear of the time, you. It works every time. And I okay. Can... Yeah. Uh, Sam, we were just riffing <laughs> a little bit about um, some impact related news. So there's the APG has all these new indices to track the SDI. You know, it feels like everywhere we turn, there's like a big move towards impact. So you're like the CEO of the one and only, as far as I can figure out, impact data company on the earth there may be one or two others but i'm biased i've already disclosed my biases <laughs> only company at all <laughs> if, if you want to talk to that exists anywhere impact, close your eyes and dial sam's phone number anyway uh maybe you could just kick us off with a definition of impact investment and i know this wasn't uh part of the plan but i think sometimes people just need that definition and then the other off the top piece here, which might be a little bit random for you, is you used to work at LeapFrog doing private market stuff. Now you're solving problems in public markets, maybe as part of your definition of impact investment, you can help us understand how you do impact in public markets. Great questions. <laughs> um, fabulous. I, the, like, I can answer them all in like 30 seconds. I ask the graduate school question, school question where it's like, <laughs> sorry, I'll just like this paragraph for you. Yeah. Sub question four. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need to write write a thesis on this though. Fabulous. Sam. You can just give us the quick version. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Why don't we start with the definition of impact investing? Very important question. Um, And I think, uh, so I'll start with the technical definition. And this was actually defined by the Global Impact Investing Network, which has tried a lot, I think, to maintain the integrity of this space as it scales. But They call it impact investments or investments made with the intention to generate positive and measurable social and environmental impact alongside financial return. So, but impact, the word impact seems in that definition. Okay. It was. All right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And are you saying it's somewhat of a circular definition? I'm just trying to sit here and learn, all right? (laughs) Well, it is true, actually. That's hilarious in itself. Uh, But so we're measuring Uh, this stuff, I think, is what you're saying. I think the differentiator is you're measuring it um, and also that there's a financial return element there. So impact investing is intended to combine financial return and measurable social and environmental performance return. Um, and I think how you define social and environmental performance is the crux of the issue. Like, what does that actually mean? Because the word impact, yes, I think is not fully defined until you define all those. Yeah. And, and part of this is like, we're seeing ton more regulatory scrutiny here in the U S I'm sure you've seen it. And, and it's probably deserved because of, like, there is so much capital out there that claims to be sustainable. Um, in your mind, like what yep. are some of the key elements of uh, like an evidence-based reporting framework um, that we can kind of take forward that will placate all these regulators? Yeah, well, it is a really interesting space because I think sustainable investing and impact investing and responsible investing and ESG investing are all kind of getting thrown in the mix here. And frankly, I think we're all kind of talking about the same thing, that we all have social and environmental goals that we want to incorporate alongside our financial goals. And I think for all of us, as you say, regulation is coming into play across Europe, definitely, and in the US, in development and in a number of other markets as well. I think the essence of getting regulation working for us on this topic is to define what the goals are um, and the evidence to track performance against those goals should actually be evidence. So big topics like climate change, I mean, we can measure that now in you know metric tons of carbon emissions. I mean, that metric just needs to be specified and everyone should report it. And then that's comparable as well across the universe. That seems so very sensible. Key elements like, just to answer questions. Why is it? I mean, uh, <laughs> there's lots of questions to ask you, but when I hear you say it like that. It's like, why the hell isn't that happening already? It just seems so obvious that we would all report on that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's, so I think it's an interesting evolution because if you think back, the financial accounting standards weren't really locked down till the early 2000s, you know, when we had a couple of corporate collapses and revenue numbers or whatever were being fudged. Until then, actually, it was diff- there were different ways to measure financial performance in every country. And then we had the international financial reporting standards that kind of harmonized a lot of those for a lot of countries. I kind of feel like ESG and sustainability is in this similar like disparate phase where 
there's actually so many elements of social and environmental performance. Um, and I like to talk about like five major ones, but um, like even just water, waste, climate, jobs, and like people with access to services, like those are five things. They're actually quite different. And I think because we haven't really deconstructed that well yet, we kind of try and put a wrapper around it in ESG. And then as a result, you've got this wrapper term that everyone's using, but it's kind of talking about different things for different people. <laughs> but I feel like we need to deconstruct it again, kind of like an income statement was with revenue, EBITDA, net profit, like put the climate, the waste, the water on the page, and then just get metrics for each of those deconstructed items and we could measure that. That would be delightful. I mean, like as, as a user of those uh, disclosure statements, I am often in the place where I'm like, I am, you know, completely unclear on how to, I mean, like, you know, you'll get like really, really good and thoughtful reports that are 300 pages long, um, you know, or, uh, yeah. you know, and, and like, I, I think the point about the evolution of accounting standards is really well taken. Like, you know, every SaaS company that's public right now is complaining about how revenue recognition standards changed for their kind of SaaS product. And like, all of a sudden their PE ratios are skyrocketing and people are grumpy at them. Um, you know, I wonder, like, I want to go back to Ashby's totally. uh, 4C of Ashby's question and ask you about your time at LeapFrog because, you know, that's a, a space that like, I, you know, um, kind of a pioneer in impact investing, uh, you know, and doing private market stuff, obviously. I wonder if you could you could talk about what you found when you got there um, and how it contrasts to, to, to kind of what you find now. Yeah, absolutely. I will very happily talk about LeapFrog because it's a fabulous company. And if anyone's listening here, they still exist. They're still fabulous. You can go find them. The LeapFrog is basically a one of the first impact investors in emerging markets. The fund launched, the first fund launched in 2008, actually, with President Bill Clinton um, right at the peak of the financial crisis. And the goal of the strategy was really to generate top quartile financial returns with measurable social impact. And I think what LeapFrog did really well is they defined that very clearly. Like they set a goal of reaching 25 mm. million low income people with access to insurance. Yeah. That's something that you can like, like my grandma could grab onto and be like, Oh, I get that. You know, I know what that means. Um, and also it drove the entire investment strategy that so every investment professional in the fund knew that's what they were trying to achieve. Um, so LeapFrog actually went and did that. Um, and I was, well, I had the lucky job of measuring our performance against those two goals on a quarterly basis. And the way that we did that um, was really to back companies that actually provided low-income people access to these services and ask them to report to us their performance on that KPI. And actually they had that data because that was their company. That was what they were doing. Um, so it actually wasn't that difficult to get the information from companies in terms of this is the metric we're looking for. Oh yeah, that's fine. We have it. But the challenge was just this like data drag of, okay, but can you send that to me in an Excel spreadsheet, please? And, um, then I'm going to combine it with my 10 other Excel spreadsheets and turn that around to my investor and try and generate a report. That whole piece of work, which is automated on the financial side, is I think what's like hindering a lot of the impact measurement on the impact side, not 
really the fact that the data doesn't exist, more that it's like hard to kind of get into a usable format. Yeah, it's like it's not that the operator of the company doesn't know that they're serving the people that they set out to see to serve. It's that, you know, the the data doesn't necessarily exist in a standardized convergible framework. Um, you know, and like yeah. I, I think that the as we zoom out beyond impact investing, right? Like the, you know, if you think about just the standard growth company today, <laughs> um, yeah. like yeah. literally anything, like, you know, think of like a Zendesk for heaven's sake, um, you know, which, uh, at, you know, customer service, CRM, maybe, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's an ESG line thing, maybe not, but that company, you know, the majority of its assets are intangible. The majority of its assets are related to, uh, kind of like these non-financial metrics. I wonder if you could talk about how like people are using ESG data now to kind of get a better window into that, that sort of stuff. Yeah. I think this is such a good lens on this whole topic because I think you've got the lens of ESG and sustainability data that's like we want to solve the planet's problems and take it from a social point of view. But then I think if you just take the pure financial lens and intangible value and company value, we're kind of in this world where we're just getting more information on the value that companies are driving instead of just a rote set of financial statements. It's all non-financial data. So, yeah, things like employee retention, um, I mean, even turnover, kind of gender diversity, board diversity, kind of tell you just a little bit more about how a company is made up and the way they make decisions, who makes those decisions, uh, all those little bits and pieces that can start to, I guess, indicate uh, drivers of intangible value um, today. I don't think we're getting to full information on the drivers of intangible value, but at least we're like piecing that apart a little bit more than just financial statements. I love the the comment earlier you made about like your, your grandma can like wrap your head around this because when I think of um, impact and its difference with ESG, I think of storytelling. And and so I wanted to ask you a question about like the difference between ESG and, and outcomes data. Um, and when I think of ESG data, and, and I'll let you answer, but I, I think of like policies and it's like really hard to tell a freaking story like this company has a policy yeah. around gender diversity, you know, that doesn't resonate in the same way. And I know like in talking to you over the years, you're really focused on the outcomes. And so does the outcome data then allow you to tell stories and like, give us a little bit of a sense, like what those differences are and how like net purpose avoids like that policy stuff, or if you're doing it, like, how do you do it differently? Yeah, fabulous. So, um, so yeah, there is this kind of ESG connotation, which has historically meant and referred to policy-based yes/no answers to questions. Um, and I think what, having grown up in this industry, what's really tough about that to deal with is like classic example: Do you have a gender diversity policy? Yes or no? That would have been a question on the Dow Jones Sustainability Index or whatever for a company to answer um, from an ESG perspective. It's much simpler to just to know how many women you're actually hiring. <laughs> like that's the outcome. Face. But, yeah, exactly. you, you can count. <laughs> go on LinkedIn and it's like, oh, cool. They, there are women and they're people with melanin. Wow. But they have a policy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Exactly. So I kind of feel like that's the difference. Outcomes are like quantitative facts 
that you can understand. And I think, by the way, at LeapFrog, we really thought hard about that. Like the fact that our goal was number of people with access to insurance, like everyone knows what that means. I think if we had have set a goal that said A on ESG, people would be like, okay, um, I don't really know what to do with that, but let me try and figure that out for a couple of months before I build an investment strategy around it. Um, so yeah, I think the simplicity, basically outcomes are quantitative facts that measure actual performance on a sustainability topic versus a policy, which measures really an input into achieving the performance. Um, and again, just to come back to the financial analogy, like I always think it's strange because I would never like ask Amazon if they have a policy to generate revenue. Totally. <laughs> like I kind of want to know what their revenue is. Um, so that's where I feel like this transition is happening. And I think actually a lot of ESG data, you know, just to give full credit to the space and the evolution, the reason why it happened that way is because there was no quantitative data or maybe we didn't have as much quantitative data as we do today. So we had to build a way to ask companies what they were doing on these topics to assess how they were doing. I just think we're in a very different space now where we can actually use the quantitative data on performance to assess performance versus intent. So real quick, before you jump into your clip, I, I'm going to put a, a a bounty out there. Free, free money mug, free, free money mug to the first financial analyst that asks a corporate CEO if they have a policy <laughs> oh on generating revenue. You can, oh my you God. can lump it in with your question if they have a policy on gender diversity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so uh, yeah, great quarter, guys. Um, you know, uh, yeah. Just want to. Yeah. What's your policy? What's your policy on revenue now? What you consider? Do you, are you pro revenue or like what? Um, do it, and you get a free mug. Sorry, your next question, son. I mean, actually, I, I, if you, you do it, I'll go even one further than Ashby. We will like take your photo, and in the way that people treat the, like third world politicians, uh, we'll make a page for you, like a digital. Shrine. You know what? We'll create an NFT. This is it's is art. That would be artistic. <laughs> Create an NFT for you, non fungible token. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I, I think like one of the things that comes with a lot of this, you know, kind of, you know, we basically we're ripping on the absurdity sometimes that people have that that comes up when people are like asking these, like, well, yeah. So you know, like, would you consider like, are you going to stop destroying the world like in three years, in five years, or you know, um. Like, I, I think that that's relevant to a lot of people, you know, like, you know, our, our homies at like the Transition Pathway Initiative, for instance, ask a question like, do you guys use an internal price of carbon? And that, that that's a group that does like, you know, they, they basically take the biggest emitters on the public markets and then they're like, OK, well, you know, let's, you know, send them all a questionnaire, allow people to evaluate them, um, you know, and, and I guess it's helpful for people who are trying to pick the least bad oil um mm -hmm. you know yeah but for people like you know do you see a material distinction between that sort of analysis like let's pick the least bad oil company um and you know kind of like i guess what you could call a, a purer or more innocent analysis uh like let's make the most <laughs> yeah it's an interesting question um and don't get me wrong i think there's like always i mean we're investors there's always you know, infinite amount of analysis you can do qualitative and quantitative and quantitative definitely isn't the answer to everything um, and doesn't capture everything. But I think even in that example, like with an oil company, indicators that are specified by the sustainable development goals, like megawatt hours of renewable energy generated versus, you know, 
fossil fuel generated energy, for example, and looking at how that mix changes over time is probably a better way of assessing an oil company's transition to cleaner fuels than policies around like gender diversity or their transition or their, their goals around climate. No, I don't think it's the only thing. I think like actually the biggest topic at the moment is given the net zero goals and climate emergency, what the goals are that a company actually has. So you can not just look at their performance today, but chart their growth or their degrowth in emissions from now out to 2030, 2050, 2060. And those are at the moment, like having questions with the CEOs of these companies and saying, what is your plan? What is your path? Not just what's your performance today. So yeah, I mean, that those type of um, qualitative questions are important, but I would expect those CEOs to be setting quantitative targets, just like they set quantitative targets on financial forms. Yeah, like that free money board meeting that we had right before this podcast where we're like, oh, we've been having audio issues or that, like, that are a shambles. Yeah. Like, yeah. we plan to avoid to, to get around that over time or are we just- We need a policy. Kind of, we, have a, yeah. we have a policy of working on it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, let's talk about net purpose because you want to zoom in on what you're doing specifically. And then one of the things that jumps out on the site is, you know, that you're not making another framework, which is quite welcome because there are many of them. Um, you know, and I, I guess, you know, you sort of note that one of the uses of your platform is that standard, a standard setter, you know, if we were to create the free money ESG, you know, whatever, um, because, mm-hmm. you know, we hate ourselves and whatever. Um, great uh, that. that was great. That's great marketing. Yeah. yeah ESG, yeah, whatever, yeah. because we hate ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> if we were to create the ESG whatever framework, uh, we could log into Net Purpose and, and use your platform to, you know, have yeah, identify opportunities to converge it with other regulatory frameworks. Can you, can you talk about why that's important and how that might work on the platform? Yes, absolutely. Thanks, Sloan. Um, so maybe just a word of context as to why we're doing that as well. Like the way we see our role here is we're in this moment where we have about a third of all the world's capital committed to investing sustainably or for impact or using ESG, which might be confusing, but we take that from an optimistic lens to say there's a lot of investors that want to do something about this and there's enough emergencies that we need to do something about. So in that moment, when you look at getting that done, Um, we can't really ask investors to make different decisions until they have the data they need to do that. And getting the data has a couple of different elements. One is defining what we should measure, which a lot of standard setting bodies have done a lot of work on over a lot of years. And we are seeing convergence, which is a really exciting thing. Um, But the second is, even when we achieve convergence, We have a $30 billion financial data industry today that underpins financial investment decisions. Um, And that exists because investors don't have the time to aggregate their own data and punch numbers from PDF reports into their Excel spreadsheets. You need that technology to underpin the decision-making process. If you look at the shift in capital then from financial to social and environmental performance, we just don't have that infrastructure built yet to do that effortlessly. So our mission is literally to make impact measurement effortless for every investor in the world. And when we say, think about standards, um, we're building the data infrastructure, not the standards. So what we would love to see is all these standards, they converge 
And what we do is we kind of map um, the standard, all the standards today, and we put them on one page. And out of that mapping drops a bunch of data points that are actually really similar, which is why I think we're so close to convergence. And we just populate those fields with data. We don't kind of opine on what the standard should be. But what's cool out of that is that like a standard setter could come to the NetPurpose platform and look at all the data points and see how many companies are actually disclosing what. Like, you know, you guys are prescribing they disclose this data point. Only 2% of companies in our universe are actually putting any data out on there. Maybe you should consider like dropping that from your list because like 85% of companies are disclosing this one, for example. So that's a way that we think that we could help the standard setting process just by providing transparency on what data is out there and as a result, like what are companies finding it possible to report on and what they're not. It's really interesting, first off, to like remind everybody that a third of the capital in the world is like being invested in in this way and like that these outcomes data don't exist. Like to me, there's like a huge disconnect, right? <laughs> and part of me, the the like skeptic in yeah. me wonders. Did a third of that capital make that commitment because they knew there was no actual measurement? You know, like they could just like, <laughs> oh, it's all policy based crap anyways. So we'll just keep doing what we're doing. And our marketing people get to say that we're sustainable because it's all crap. So that's the skeptic. <laughs> let's put that. Let's put that. human. Totally. Now, the, the thing that I'm really interested in, you're building outcomes. Like when you talk to the, I guess your customers, like what are they most excited about? Is it the climate angle, which feels like it's everywhere? Um, or is it like, because you mentioned like the five themes that you're really interested in, access to services, you know, all that kind of stuff. So honestly, like what is like the most interesting thing that they want out of your data and how are they using it? Yeah. So, I mean, I think they are basically looking, so our clients today are fund managers that manage sustainable and impact portfolios. And what they're looking for is a way to report as rigorously on those outcomes or those indicators as they do on their financial performance. And you're right, Ashby. I mean, like most of the 90 trillion or the one third of the world's capital that says they're committed to this is really committed to ESG, which is largely a lot of policies um, still. But I don't know if you read in detail the EU regulation on this topic, but it's all quantitative. That is fabulous. Which is fabulous. So they're all going to have to, yeah, everyone's going to have to go in that direction. Um, and so I think what our clients are looking for is measurable performance, quantitative performance, just like they have on financial performance. They are really interested in climate. I mean, I think every investor in the world that's doing anything in sustainability has to be interested in that right now. Um, and I think they've got okay data on some climate metrics like scope one and scope two, although we've found more data just in a more detailed and thorough way from the same companies um, than our peers on even those quite common metrics today. But what they're lacking is they're often looking to invest in solutions, so products and services that actually are producing things that could solve the climate crisis like renewable energy but also energy efficiency tool, building insulation, like actually, you know, um, building envelopes, things that are going to solve kind of the energy crisis from the demand side as well as the supply side, et cetera. And we work to identify those solutions and also measure their 
CO2 avoided, for example, their impact in a quantitative way so they can not just identify the solution, but measure the impact of investing in those solutions. And then I think we have a wider set, like we actually cover, I kind of summarized mm. five themes. We cover mm. about 10 themes today, but um, one, climate is not the only thing. Everyone knows that also water is going to be important next and waste. So don't just anchor on one, but see all the others as well. We provide that information to uh, them too. Do, do you worry at all about the way that that information winds up getting used in marketing? Because the, the, I mean, like the, there's a, um, I mean, I, I had actually had to hold myself back from writing a big, like, kind of angry blog post about, um, like, a, a major asset manager, <laughs> um, <laughs> a, uh, you know, like, a, basically, like, a two-page infographic um, about one of their large ESG funds that heavily implied that there was a direct implication, that a direct result of uh, making an allocation of this ETF would be the reduction in in other words, that by investing in the CTF, carbon that would have been emitted would not have been emitted. Where actually, the the what the data said is that the carbon footprint of the companies in the portfolio uh, differed from the carbon footprint in the in the, the companies in the indices. Um, you, you know, I, I assume you must run into people crossing that line left and right. <clears throat> Yes. And this is like, I think a bit of the hardest part about this challenge at the moment that, um, like the way we work is we just, well, just, but we aggregate data and we provide that to people transparently, but we don't prescribe how they should use it. And we don't have visibility or any authority over how they publish their reports. And I think that's a role where regulation can really help and needs to help because the interpretation of this information, yeah, is challenging right now. And I think it's kind of like that, how do you not let perfect be the enemy of good in taking like micro steps, but also like get to perfect as quickly as possible because people need to be able to make decisions. So we do provide some guidance around reporting and what we consider best practice, but ultimately we don't have, you know. Yeah, and if you tried to prescribe that, you wouldn't have a business. Uh, yeah, yeah. No. And also, I also think it's, I mean, so I think it's also quite easy to ding a lot of these things. And like, there are a lot of things to ding, to be honest, because there is a lot of stuff, but also it's quite hard, like for, I don't know, someone that's never thought about, not like never learned this in school, never trained on the job to measure carbon emissions avoided of a portfolio kind of maybe trying to do their best but like got it wrong who knows i mean that's the like optimistic view on it and the pessimistic view and i just don't think we know what is actually happening i mean i know for one that like working with investors for the last 10 years in impact investing even the most sophisticated um it it's not like effortless right so it's really something that needs all needs to think i did want, i mean Absolutely. i know we're we've taken you way longer than we promised we would, but you're su such an interesting topic and it comes up time and time again. And, and I think the the last kind of comment and, or question, whatever you want to say is like these frameworks, part of me wonders if like the lack of frameworks is useful for some of the more sophisticated investors that are using this data that like to feel like they're building yeah. their process. And I'm often reminded of like back in the 1950s when one of those big conglomerates started selling cakes in a box. Um, you had like, they weren't selling any cakes in a box because the, the chefs at home, which back then was usually women 
were like, this is cheating. Like I'm, I'm just putting the cake in, in the bowl and mixing it with water. Like that's not cooking, you know? And, and what they figured out is they had to have yeah. the, the, the women put an egg in the box and just the addition of an egg for them made them feel like I'm cooking. There was no need to put the egg in, but they added that to the ingredients list. So they dumped the box in the bowl. They put an egg in water, spun it. They had their cake. It sold like crazy. In this case, where am I going with this? Great question. Uh, in this case, like you're providing a really interesting product that like, frankly, doesn't need, like it may not need the egg yet, um, but the these organizations, so I don't know where I'm going with that, but I think they want the egg, right? Like the really sophisticated, like what I think we're talking about frameworks is like, we don't need an egg. Like we're just delivering the impact data. My analogy making any sense, everybody? Yeah, we want a plant-based substitute yes. for yeah, no, Sorry, this is best vegan. Oh, shit. Best vegan. Uh, exactly. Anyway, my point is the lack of frameworks um, may... I got it. I got it. May actually like help you get early customers from the really sophisticated people that are like, mm, I can really use this data in my process. But the frameworks are then there to take it out to the masses. Anyway, that was my point. No, I totally agree, by the way. And I actually think there's this like thing happening at the moment where impacts and sustainable investors do, like if they've figured out a framework ahead of everyone else, they do look like they're, I mean, they are, they're actually contributing to figuring that out, first of all, so that's helpful. But um, people see it as a competitive differentiator because other people haven't yet figured out their frameworks. I think if you fast forward five or 10 years, though, I hope we are in the same situation as we are in financial performance, where you're an impact investor because you generated outsized impact, not because you measured it yeah. in a certain way. Um, and that's, I think, that performance differentiation that hasn't yet dropped. Like, actually, you're an impact investor if you're actually outperforming on impact, not if you built a framework to measure it. And I think, by the way, People also are spending a lot of internal time on figuring this stuff out. And if they're investing actually that much human capital in figuring something out, they kind of want to use that investment in a way that like is differentiating. So yeah, there is that framework versus performance, I think kind of IP type thing happening at the moment. But I think the long term is standardization, hopefully, and you know, outperformance on performance. Agreed. I think that that's a great place to leave it. Cause yeah, I mean I I, I think, you know, everyone hopes that, that we can move past the like bureaucratic uh, form filling out part and, you know, move towards the like, you know, actually measuring how yeah. good people are at doing the thing part. Yeah. Are we making the world a better place? Exactly. And I think, you know, to close it, close it down here, I think with if you're successful with net purpose, we're actually going to have an answer for that. You know, like, are these investors actually driving positive impacts in the world or are they just putting, you know, marketing glossies out pretending to well it, yeah and that's so crucial because like I, I i think a lot of the people that that we serve or intend to serve are people who don't trust markets at all <laughs> uh don't trust capitalism yeah. at all <laughs> uh yeah and like to to actually reach those people um you know you got to have like a pretty firm empirical underpinning um you know uh Absolutely. and earning their trust but thank you so much for thanks, Sam. taking the time to chat with us. <laughs> oh, thanks for having me. This has been really fun, guys. And yes, we hope we can earn the trust of those investors and we can 
make a little dent in this problem. Mm, big dent. So we can all. All right. Big dent. Big dent. Big dent. That's what a great way to end. Bye. Bye. Fabulous. That's so good. Yeah. That's so good. Uh, I mean, we got to call this like the related parties podcast, you know. Whatever. Pretty soon. <laughs> Pretty soon. Uh, we've got our captain out for whatever our pirate out front. We're just going to basically be like, you should basically assume we're conflicted on everything we do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Shark bait. This is we be riddled with conflicts. <laughs> we be represented in a loose network of collaboration. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the good news. That company is taking off. Like it is, yeah, it is real. So it's not just us putting in some random little company that that purpose is, is crushing it. So, oh yeah. Well, I I think that the, you know, the, the role is so neat, Mm. like the, uh, to have like, you know, I mean, cause like, you know, having diligence, the bunch of, you know, the, I mean, I thought about paying 7,000 bucks for some analytics and like, you know, I I decided not to because I, you know, $7,000 is a lot of money, but, but also, you know, because like the, a lot of their, their stuff kind of does it for you. And just like we were talking about, um, it's like, it's hard to feel confidence in a portfolio or in a process, a piece of your process that you essentially import. Yeah. Um, rather than kind of, kind of like build yourself. And then, you know, later on you can think about importing something and go, okay, how does that map to what we're already doing? Yep. Um, but intellectually it's a lot easier to do it that way than than to go like, ah, yes, the nice people at MSCI. Yeah, hearing you talk about uh, spending seven thousand dollars on data reminds me. <laughs> Starting stuff is hard. <laughs> oh, do we have a jiggle? I mean, that's yeah, it's the wrong jiggle. But yeah, starting stuff is hard. Let's starting stuff is hard. This is the, the the part of the show where we talk about how oh. when you start stuff, it's freaking hard. <laughs> uh, Sloan, what's new? What's what's been hard this week in the in the land of Invest Vegan? So the big thing that I've been dealing with is onboarding. Um, Interesting. Because, I, you know, I experienced I, it though. You experienced it. You experienced version 1.0 and thank you for going through that. Uh, I thought it wasn't that bad. Maybe on your side, uh, hard, but on my side, it felt pretty, pretty seamless. Well, it's, I mean, I, I think that from a standpoint of um, like, you know, I'm trying to get out like a, and do press and do marketing and stuff like that. And, and it's hard to feel confident that that investment of time and effort is worth it if like there's like a pretty solid potential that someone's going to bounce out once they actually develop the intent to open an account um you know so um i spent a lot of time over the last couple of weeks building a, a docusign process that allows people to kind of you know with self-service forms go out and complete the questionnaire um and all of the forms at once and once in. um you know which which had been like which was a nightmare uh, to do, by the way, I, I had not realized how hard it was to work with DocuSign or any of these e-sign companies. Like the um, the software is buggy; it, it it flips out. You know, applying conditional logic is a mess sometimes. Um, you know, and like, thank God, I my partner is a software engineer and is good at computer because I was like, I, I literally at one point, maybe two or three days ago, I was like so despondent. I was like, I'm the worst person ever. Uh, no one will ever open an account here. Uh, and then, you know, Claire, Claire got on and, and smoothed it out. And lo and behold, while I was doing that, somebody who I have not spoken to yet opened it. That's not, um, that's a sign. Product market fit. That's a sign. 
Yep, product market fit exactly. You, so what's up? Uh, what's up in your uh, many enterprises? Uh, you, know, you know, hard, hard things. It, it was a hard week. Uh, and the thing about building companies is, here's the thing that's interesting: when it's really hard, like truly hard, a little bit like I had this week, you kind of can't talk about it because. <laughs> It's too hard. <laughs> yeah, fair, fair. <laughs> That's a fascinating thing about this space, right? Because, you know, there there is a component of building things where you have to continue with the momentum of success. Yeah. And anything that kind of tarnishes that momentum, you need to, um, you know, find a way to position. And we've learned a lot. Yeah, we failed there, but we pivoted. And now we understand. And And like, I'll admit that this week was like a brutal week for, for some of the yeah. stuff that I was, I've been working on. Um, I won't tell which, because I want to maintain the mo- momentum in that thing, <laughs> but it's the other part of that. It, it's very humbling, by the way, like as you're probably experiencing, mm. not humbling, like <laughs> I just won an award and I don't know what to say. So I say I'm humbled. I mean, humbled, like, yeah. wow, I don't think I'm as good at this as I thought. It's that kind of humbling. Do I even know anything? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Does anybody appreciate me? Um, Look, I, I think, I appreciate thank you. you. And we are trying to build something, you know? Um, so, so I think like that is hard. And and that's the part of building this stuff where you're like, you have to be ready for those negatives and you have to be ready to swallow it and go back to people and say, yes, we're still, we're still going great. You know, even if in the back yep. of your mind, your mind, you, ha- you have a few more doubts than maybe you did. Um, and that, I think that's the part that like some people look at and say, is that disingenuous? I don't think it is. I've come to terms with the fact that like when you're trying to solve a big problem, which I think you and I are generally, you're going to come across these moments where like you might not be the perfect person to solve every problem. And yep. so you need help. And so part of getting help is maintaining the momentum so you can enlist people. And so, you know, that... That's just an interesting thing I think I've come to terms with over the last six years that like you have these incredible hard things and you need to find a way to talk about those hard things and that like keep the momentum going. So, yeah, yeah, that's so true and so real. I mean, like, I, I think like, you know, with with building like, you know, a brick and mortar, like not, not brick and mortar, but like a, you know, a business that is not about, you know, picking which public companies to invest, um, you know, there's like uh I guess, you know, uh, a lot more happens under the veil yeah. than, you, you, know, you know what I mean? And, and like the, if you're legitimately trying, I mean, if you're out here trying to like slightly refine ad tech, uh, yeah. uh, you know, or whatever, you know, I, the, then. Yeah. That, um, that noise, uh, is perfect for that. The ad tech innovators yeah, you're like, what? Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a colossal <laughs> waste of time. I mean, from a from society like, perspective. Uh, yeah, for it's a good, but like if you're out here trying to do, you know, an element of like pure, I, I mean, actually, I, you know, a company I'll talk about that is in the uh, investigative portfolio went public today, oh, wow. uh, November 17th, uh, through SPAC, um, Ginkgo Bioworks um, is a the kind of programmable cells company. Um, you know, so they started at MIT, founded by this like legendary guy, um, you know, five person founding team. It's great. One of the reasons that it's in the portfolio and that I really love them is that they were incredibly candid about how much their shit sucked five years ago. Mm. Um, you know, and like the, you know, like in a Q&A, they're like, what, what's the, someone asked them, what's the hardest thing that you, you've dealt with? Um, and the CEO was like, 
Well, there was that moment where everyone almost quit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and like, and that candor, that realism is so appreciated and, you know, uh, like assessing, you know, management, you know, at, at this stage, but like at the, you know, stage they were at four years ago, I'm sure it was like a huge problem because, you know, they could have had, yeah, I mean, there was sort of a go, no go decision that investors were making, you know, as they went around to, to, to you know, kind of uh, raise another round, yeah. you know, or another two or three rounds, you know, and um, yeah, it's like a part and parcel of the journey. It is. Yes. My last comment before oh. we move to the next segment is, is I often hear people say, oh, so long as you know the destination, you know, it doesn't matter the journey, mm. like you're going to iterate and pivot and fail and you're going to get there. And I think that's complete bullshit. I think so long as you kind of have a core understanding of the problem in the world that you're going after, you should be open to solving that problem in any number of ways and expressing it across different industries because yep. building stuff is freaking hard. And so, so Absolutely. long as you find the problem you're passionate about working on, continue to iterate and pursue it and be open to the fact that the destination may actually be in an entirely different lane than you thought. It's not just navigating towards a single destination. It's navigating with an open mind and a problem statement. Yeah. So Re really most well said, yeah, you're not like Babe Ruth, like pointing your bat in at left field and then like, you know churning it out exactly exactly no idea you're where you're um now it's time for some deeper questions um uh, it's time for dear Ashby. this is when we answer questions from our beloved audience um the source of wonderful guest recommendations uh, and great questions that we take very seriously so um if you are one of those people and you have a burning question or even i don't know maybe not burning maybe itchy question yeah or like a like a, I don't know, like a, a, a pleasing question. No, um, but e email it to us. It's a free money pod at gmail.com. Um, or, you know, obviously if you have our other email addresses, uh, and stuff, just reach out to us that way. Um, and you know, I mean, like, while I'm doing this kind of, uh, housekeeping, uh, period segment, I will just say, you know, there's a, there are these places where you could rate podcasts and, uh, nine out of 10 good looking people already rated the, the free money podcast five stars. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people are talking about the itchy questions segment. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, this is actually, I'm sure someone's itchy about this. Uh, the Chinese government caused the letter agita by cracking down on foreign share listings. Um, and, you know, this is something that like all of the, uh, so many folks mm. have been talking about for years. It finally happened. Are pensions selling their Chinese stocks and should they be? I love the word agita. It's a word my mom uh, uh, uses frequently. I had to like remind myself what that meant for a second there. Um, you know, it's not as much as I thought. I thought we would see a lot of activity with respect to China. First off, like when um, Beng Men stepped down from, from CalPERS, yeah. a lot of that was around pressure on China coming from Congress. Um, because CalPERS is part of the index, like was allocated into some of these companies that many people on, on the kind of right side of Congress were frustrated with and, and thought we shouldn't be investing in. Um, then, you know, then there was the, like the whole anti-PO being withdrawn. Um, and, and, and for those that don't know, it was a very big tech company who had like 
uh, a high-flying IPO promise, like very prominent American investors, including Silver Lake, um, are, are in it, which means there's pension funds in it. You know, and so you yep. would have thought that like these activities would push pension funds to kind of come out publicly and and reconsider their China allocation. I haven't seen it. I, I honestly haven't <laughs> seen it because, you know, uh, especially in the U.S., many of our public plans are just too desperate for performance. They can't look at a market like China, you know, on its path to being the world's biggest economy um, and and ignore it. You just it's like, unfortunately, no matter your views on China and what's going on there, the the economic um, need to generate the performance requires you to have an exposure there. Yep. And oh, by the way, it's like 40% of the index, the, the, the MSCI emerging market. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, so like the, you know, to be, to be, to sit out on that would be quite noticeable to a lot of people. And um, people don't like, like to exactly. deviate from peers either. That's a way you get, yeah, you get fired in the, in the pension industry. Exactly the kind of career risk that everyone loves. Um, you know, and, but like, I, you know, I guess it's a great segue into this other question. You know, we, we didn't do it all the way today on the great segue by accident, but today, uh, you know, I mean, performance has been good this year. I've heard um, that. you know, a lot of people are up 30% when Alicia was, was on the, on the podcast a couple of episodes ago, she was like, look, I mean, I think the big story is this, this performance, what are people going to do about it? Um, and so the question, uh, maybe someone listened to that episode, um, lots of pensions are suddenly fully paid. Yeah. What should they do now? They should immediately lower their expected return target immediately. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm, I thought you might say that. it's like the, it, it is the equivalent of hiding money from politicians. When politicians Oof. look at pension plans that are fully funded, they're like, well, let's stop putting money in there. And yep. uh, let's yep. go and invest in schools, which isn't a reasonable thing to do, um, you know, but it just punts down into the future. A lot of these, um, you know, these pension liabilities. And so the, the mechanism here of funding, um, not many people realize that there's the asset base, but then we project that asset base into the future right? According to expected returns. And we use that expected return to calculate the amount of liability. If the expected return number is high, it makes the liability appear smaller in present dollar terms because we are assuming we yeah. can generate higher performance with that pool of capital we have today. If we lower the expected yep. return a little bit, then we that pool of capital we're sitting on today doesn't quite get as big in the future, which means we can say things like, oh, we're not fully funded. The Canadians yep. have used this mechanism incredibly well for a long time. They ratchet down the expected return target. And by the way, as they're doing so, they're de-risking the plan liabilities. And so you'll see a yep. lot of plans like in real terms getting quite low, um, you know, four and a half percent, five percent. That might actually be nominal terms in certain cases um, where you know, they don't even need to take that much risk anymore in order to have a fully funded mm. pension plan. And that's kind of what we should want. You know, that's the dream. That's the dream. So, yeah. And, and the interesting thing, Maryland is doing this right now. So Maryland is taking um, a, a page out of the Canadian playbook here and they are going to lower the, dis the discount rate, lower the expected return target, which will make the plan look like in less healthy financial shape 
because now the politicians won't be able to say oh, we're 105% funded, whatever it is. I don't know. They'll have to say we're 97% funded. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so that little trick like allows the pension fund to protect itself from politicians that want to grab either like the contribution money or, um, the money in the plan itself, which is harder. And, and like for, and like from a macro prudential standpoint, that's super counter cyclical, uh, <laughs> um, which is brilliant. And it's exactly what our friends at the bank of international settlements want investors to do. Exact. Um, uh, you know, um, like the rather than just kind of co- ke- keeping risk in a continuous place, regardless of uh, of broader conditions. Um, this one is like I think a question that everyone, whether or not they vocalized it, uh, is thinking to some degree. Um, I'm preparing for a future as a climate refugee, um, assuming I can't afford a remote ranch in New Zealand like certain billionaires. What should I do? I think you should just figure out where the climate hazards are going to be the worst in 2050. And, and, and there, you know, there's a bunch of tools out there now that help individuals, um, you know, kind of figure that out. It, it's hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a lot of work that I've done myself over the years trying to figure this stuff out, but you know, you want to avoid areas that are going to have high, um, Forest fire risk, um, yeah. wind from hurricane, flooding. Like if you have a basement, you should just, you know, make sure you're in a place that isn't going to have high flood risk. So basically, I, it, it's not so much in my experience, the like, oh, I got to go to New Zealand. Um, it's a much more local question. Like, actually, it doesn't matter that I, I live in Florida if m- my first floor is empty. And I have the proper materials in my home to protect myself from extreme wind. You know, like obviously Florida is going to have a lot more hurricanes, but there are things you can do to, to reduce the projected damages incredibly. So yeah, I don't think you need to like completely pick up and move to Alaska. Although, um, you know, I'm sure some people are like going to be that extreme about it. I think you need to be very thoughtful in things about things like floodplains and, you know, yep. where you're located vis-a-vis the forest. Um, you know, mm-hmm. that lo- like everybody always said, like location, location, location. But I don't think people ever thought about that in the context of like, what is the earth going to throw at me? Yeah, like preparing for the apocalypse. Yeah. yeah the, the Yeah. But I think you can that's, live. That's a- I mean, obviously, if you're in like the Gulf Coast of Louisiana, like you're in trouble. You're in trouble. Like, yep. you know, you yeah, probably, probably need to float. Probably move. It needs to be a floating yeah. home. Um, but other than that, I think just really being thoughtful about the location and making sure that you're in a place that doesn't project these hazards out in a terrible way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that's a very chill approach to it. Cause it, obviously you can go, like you said, move up to an extreme place, you know? Um, but yeah, simply being 15 feet above you know, sea level in a place where everyone else is below yeah. sea level. Um, I, you know, I think is a pretty good way to start planning. Um, that takes us to our concluding segment, which is what everyone really listens to this podcast. They hit fast forward for this. They no, what were you talking about? They, what, everyone, what's your current? So, oh, sorry, they listen yeah, all like, the way, and then they're excited, but they stick oh, around. Oh, 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 they stick around for the garden tip. I should say it's not fast. Yeah, forward. yeah, yeah. Oh, I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah they, they fast forward through all the bullshit we just threw at the <laughs> exactly to get our garden tip du jour. 
What is your garden tip du jour? Um, that's the garden tip of the day. Okay, I'll have that. <laughs> Sorry, that's my dumb and dumber joke. Uh, great. So I think my garden tip du jour is related to my fig tree. Because I keep going down there to figure out when my figs are ready to be eaten. And the fascinating thing is you can, I now know, cause I picked one this week. It's just like when they look gross and they're drooping down and you're like, oh, now, like it's just, it's like they're these little green, you know, taut figs that if you actually eat taste horrific, I made the mistake trying that out. Mm. Um, but the minute they go droopy um, and they, you know, ants are starting to like try to get excited about them. It's like the most amazing fruit. And, uh, and so that's like, reminds me in the terms of gardening tips, like really as you plant things, spending some time to understand, especially food, when you should be harvesting. Um, because I often, I often, do, I'm looking outside of my apple tree, at, there's some apples on there. I have no clue when to pull that apple off of there. I actually don't even really know because it's like a green apple. I don't really know when it's ready. Yep. Yeah, we've got cucumbers that we that I like I totally forgot about. And like if you leave a cucumber on the vine too long, it becomes disgusting. Yep. Um that's huge. Yeah. The I mean, I I, I think, you know, I'll just uh, I guess for my tip this week, you know, kind of retweet your thing about listening to the insects. Um, you know, because uh, like the I mean, one of the biggest indicators for me of when like my strawberries are ready to to, to take and you know, we've got these these bushes are now remarkably productive for spitting out berries left and right uh and they kind of do it in like tranches so you know you'll get like a, a fistful of strawberries at once. my gosh um it's fucking awesome sounds fantastic everybody should grow strawberry plants um but the but usually like the I, you know at the beginning i was too, so excited to get a strawberry because you know you're not actually supposed to get a strawberry from a plant you have just planted it's supposed to take them like a while to establish um that i would always harvest them early um but now i i, I wait until the insects have taken one or two of them. smart um and the birds and then then the the product is so much better that's perfect we almost planned this we didn't plan it but it almost sounds to listeners like we did guardian yeah. tip of yeah. the day so, pay attention to the flora and the fauna around your fruit rather than just staring at the fruit itself yeah okay. yeah i, I mean that, that's, that's so big i mean Good tip. And well, and, and like the insects are, you know, they're smart. They're like, you know, they've got, they've got instincts that have been honed over generations. They have. Yeah. Um, but that about does it for us today. Yeah. Um,